0: This sermon, Defiance Meets Grace, was preached by Tom Wilkins on Sunday, January 28, 2024 at Sovereign Grace Church. Well, what a joy it is for me personally welcome you all to the gathering of saints. What a joy it is to be together. And if you're a visitor this morning, my name is Tom Wilkins. I have a joy of being one of the pastors here. Actually, I'm shocked by that. If I could have you stand with me, we're going to be reading out of God's Word this morning. We're going to be in the book of Judges, chapter 6. First 24 verses in Judges. If this is your first time with us, we've been in a series uh, through Judges. And now we reach the story of Gideon. If you're a Christian, you've heard of Gideon. Um, If you're a brand new Christian, it's likely you've heard about Gideon. But I believe as we get into and begin, because today is one of several messages over the next, uh, this chapter and the following two chapters on the life of Gideon, this judge, this deliverer that God brings to the nation of Israel. It's going to be an amazing um, consideration. Particularly in light of what I learned about Gideon when I was a little kid. We'll get to that in just a little bit. Let's look at God's word together and let's read together. Beginning in verse 1. The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian seven years. And the hand of Midian overpowered Israel. And because of the Midian people, because of the Midian, the people of Israel made for themselves dens that are in the mountains and caves and strongholds. For wherever the Israelites planted crops, the Midianites and the Amalekites, and the people of the east would come up against them. They would encamp against them and devour the produce of the land as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance in Israel, and no sheep, or ox, or donkey. For they would come up with their livestock and their tents, and they would come like locusts in number, but they and their camels could not be counted. So they laid waste to the land as they came in. Israel was brought very low because of Midian. And the people of Israel cried out for help to the Lord. When the people of Israel cried out to the Lord on account of the Midianites, the Lord sent a prophet to the people of Israel. And he said to them, thus says the the Lord, the God of Israel, I led you up out of Egypt and brought you out of the house of bondage, and I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians, and from the hand of all who oppressed you, and drove them out before you, and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites, in whose land you dwell. But you have not obeyed my voice. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash Joash, the Abizarite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, Please, sir, the Lord is with us. Why then has all of this happened to us? Where are his wonderful deeds and our father, that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you? And he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, But I will be with you. And you shall strike the Midianites as one man. And he said to him, if now I have found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign that it is you who speaks to me. Please do not depart from here until I come to you and bring out my present and set it before you. And he said, I will stay till you return. So Gideon went into the house and prepared a young goat and unleavened cakes from the ephah of flour. The meat he put in a basket, and the broth he put in a pot, and brought them to him under the terebinth and presented them. And the angel of the Lord said to him, Take the meat and the unleavened cakes, and put them on this rock, and pour the broth over them. And he did so. Then the angel of the Lord reached out the tip of the staff that he had that was in his hand, and he touched the meat and the unleavened cakes, and fire sprang up from the rock and consumed the flesh and the unleavened cakes. And the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. Then Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. And Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace be to you. Do not fear. You shall not die. Then Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, The Lord is Peace. And to this day it stands at Ophra which belongs to the Abizirites. Let's let's pray together. You may be seated. Lord, I pray that you would mercifully move in our midst and remind us but we just read that in your presence we are always on holy ground. So my prayers that you would sustain us in your presence. Be merciful to your church, to all present, God, everyone present. Be merciful to us. Lord, we're grateful that you have made a way for sinners like us to be in your presence and not immediately consume us. Thank you, Jesus, for making this possible. Now speak to us, Lord, from your word. Restrain my mouth. and May we remember and hear your voice. Jesus, it's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, we get to this point in chapter 6 in the book of Judges. And here is a major turning point in this book. We've looked at one judge after another. And if you had been listening or if you had heard, I would encourage you if you haven't, go back and listen to the previous messages. You would have discovered that there would have been a cycle. And included in that cycle would be the sins of the people, and yet God mercifully coming to the people and giving them a judge, a deliverer, one who would save them when they cried out. And we learned some of what each of these judges were like, but we get to this turning point, and the reason it's a turning point as you read through this book as we discover that Gideon personally He's going to begin a, well, he's going to be marked by a particular problem that's now going to be in every single judge through the rest of the judges that's progressively worse. In God's providence, his choice of deliverers is going to today again beg questions, Lord, why? Why did you pick this guy? Why this deliver, and we will find out why. Gideon marks the decline in the delivers. But thank God, this is what we're going to learn today our inexplicable defiance, our inexplicable defiance is met by God's inexplicable grace. when we really consider what's happening in this text and what we know what's been going on in the people of Israel, and then when we let the Scriptures be a mirror to us and we realize what sinners we have become, it is truly inexplicable that we would ever seek to deny God and defy Him. But yet we're going to find out that even in light of that, God's grace will be inexplicable. He's going to show mercy to sinners. He will be good to those who are not good and will find our inexplicable defiance is met by God's inexplicable grace. As we look at this section of text, the first one that we're going to look at is verses one through six. This is point one. If you're taking notes, this is point one. We'll be here only briefly, hopefully sufficiently. Point one, they were brought very low. We get those words from verse six, if you would look there with me. Israel was brought very low because of Midian. God's people are brought very low, we hear in the text. We'll look again, and we're going to see here in just a second, their oppression is devastating. Devastating. And it's drawn out over time. Their struggle, they're being pushed, as it were, into the earth by Midian. It's devastating to them. And it's not just Midian. Joining with Midian would be another coalition, those surrounding them. The attack seemingly coming from almost all sides. They are on the brink of annihilation. God's people. They're brought very low. Look with me again at verses three through five. For whenever the Israelites planted crops, if we know a little bit about a nation of Israel, they need crops, they need food. They don't have Costco, they don't have Walmart. They need crops, and the Midianites and the surrounding nations around them would come at that time when the harvest is implied, when the harvest was ready, finally we 'll have something that we can eat, and they would encamp against them in verse four and devour look listen to the words in here they would devour the produce of the land as far as gaza it 's the devouring is expansive it 's all of their region there 's nowhere that they can go well, okay, that store closed in Oro Valley. We'll just drive down to the one in South Tucson. No, it's as far as the nation of Israel is alive. It's completely wiped out. Hear that no sustenance left for them. In verse 4, they would come in with their livestock in tents, all their camels, but the description of their number is described, which if you're familiar with the scriptures, it's like locusts coming in number. The cloud, I mean the sky in that sense would be darkened by the presence of so many overwhelming God's people. Hunger, thirst is daily struggle. No relief day after day, season after season. Just when the crops are ripe, just when the livestock multiplied a little, a few Everything taken away immediately. The cup seemingly about to touch their lips, snatched from their hand. Bite about to be taken in their starvation. Yanked out of their hand as well, like a dark cloud of locusts swooping in. Their enemies would rush in and devour it all. The toll on the nation was too much for them. The progression of sequences in their sin is marked out in verse 2. We hear those words are overpowered by the enemy. Verse 2 again, driven into dens and caves to hide from their attackers. Everything taken away in verses 3 and 5 that we just read brought very low. The summary statement over Israel. Don't miss the connection in verse 6 and verse 1. Let's read verse 1 again. The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian. Now verse 6. Israel's brought low, very low, because of Midian. Well, what we find if we are actually paying attention to the text is Midian is oppressive, but they would have had no say in Israel. They would have had no power in Israel if it were not for God who normally sustains His people, handing them over. We get to this point in the text. We have to ask ourselves these questions. Have we been brought low? Things seem seemingly could not have been worse for these people. What about your life? And isn't this the case, though, for those of us when we're running from God, those of you who may be running from God, still clinging on to this world and to sin? I don't know what your experience is like, but maybe we discover this sometimes that we'll hear a friend or a brother or sister in Christ or a friend or a coworker, I'm desperate, but saying the word that they're desperate they remain unwilling to cry out to the Lord for help. They say that they're desperate and they refuse to acknowledge their sin. They, they're still wanting the other person to change in the marriage. They're still wanting that situation to finally be resolved. Maybe what we're finding out, the truth of the matter is, they might be desperate somewhat, but they're not desperate enough. Are you Am I desperate enough to cry out to God in repentance? Will you yet remember the Lord and cry out to Him? Here in these opening verses of the text, we find the people of God did finally cry out. They had been brought low enough, That's what we're discovering in the text. It had gone on long enough for them. The starvation was enough for them. The thirst was too much for them. All their efforts, we'll figure this out, we'll go into the dens and the caves. We're going to find here described, and we read just a minute ago, how he is... um, handling or dealing with or trying to seek produce wheat, which would normally be done out in the open. He's gone into hiding into a wine press, very small way to produce. But they're trying. They're trying to do this without the Lord, but now they finally cannot do it. They need him desperately. And this is where we find the answer. The answer is, why have they been brought very low? They've been brought very low because of their disobedience that's point number one point number two their defiance is inexplicable now you're like wait a minute (laughs) I knew I know we've been in this church long enough I know the very next thing is they were desperate they cried out to the Lord and the Lord came and saved them well he does so spoiler alert But he does something first. He needs to teach them something. This is different from the other judges. They would cry out. He would bring a deliverer. The deliverer would save them. We now get to this story. Well, Israel cries out for deliverance. Let's read again verses 7 through 10. When the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, they're now broken They now are in repentance, as it were, to some degree. They cry out to the Lord on the account of the Midianites. That's a clue. To some degree, there's repentance. But they're not seeing the full extent of their trouble. So God sends a prophet to the people of Israel. Now, you have to think for a minute like an Israelite in this moment. You cannot sustain yourself. This is an unsustainable effort. You've tried it. You've tried it now for years. You are not going to make it. Your children are dying. People are starving to death. They're drying up in the desert where they normally would have planted their crops or having to bury their people. The Lord does hear their cry, but he begins to answer their cry for help in an unexpected way. He gives them a deliverer. No, he gives them a prophet. He gives them a prophet. You can imagine them immediately questioning that they're so desperate. They need him to send a deliverer. We need someone to rise up and set us free from this oppression. And he sends a prophet. You can imagine the temptation is, a prophet, are you kidding me? Sounds like he has a staff. Can this guy save us? And maybe, illustratively, it's helpful for us to consider it like this: Our house is on fire; it's engulfed in flames. And we call nine-one-one, and the first person to pull up is the fire marshal in a pickup. And he gets out with a clipboard and some pamphlets, and he comes to our house; it's burning down, and says, "Hey." These are the things you need to do to make sure your house never bursts into flames. Here, read these. That's the illustration. Imagine these people are so desperate and we get a prophet. The Lord is doing something they need first. Oh, he will give them their deliverer. He will give them their judge. But they need to hear something first. Here in verse 8, he sends a prophet to the nation of Israel. And this prophet says to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I led you up out of Egypt. I brought you out of the house of bondage. I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave them into your hand, gave gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God, and you shall not fear the gods of the Amorites, and those who land you dwell. But you have not obeyed my voice. Now for you and I, this is where Judges, the turn in Judges is helpful to us. Because generically, we've been hearing the people have sinned against God. Now, we have been beginning to imagine what their sin would have been like. Sometimes it's described as they turned to the idols. They went to sort of worshiping things as if going into adultery against God. Very stark description. But the Lord now, because of the constant return to their sins, needs to teach them what's at the bottom of their return to sins. They will not... And have not obeyed his voice. God's voice in this case though is not simply a call to obedience. Please see this. Please see in verse 8, it's 8 through 10, not just 10. It would have been sufficient, I think, like the rest of the book for him to say, but you have disobeyed me. But that's not actually what occurs first. See the marrying of two messages in this prophet's answer to them. We are desperately in need of being saved. The Lord says, you need to hear something. And he gives them two things. One is, I have been gracious to you, and you have not obeyed me. It's not, you have not obeyed me. Look, the creator of the universe has every right to come to us in the midst of our sin. He has every right to come to us to arrest our attention, as you have not obeyed. But you have to see something in this text. The nature of God is revealed in a beautiful, gracious way. He says at length, I was your deliverer. Already, you're calling out for a deliverer. I was your deliverer. I saved you out of Egypt. I have come to you again and again and again. And I have saved you. I've brought you out. I've set you free. I've been gracious to you. You have not heard my voice and obeyed. Oh, that you and I would get both sides to this. Feel his reproof as we move through verses 8 through 9 into 10. I myself have led you from Egypt. I have brought you out. I delivered you from Egypt. I drove them out. I gave you and not just What he has done, it's who he is as well. In verse 10, I am the Lord. I am Yahweh, your God. He gives also his divine command in verse 10. I am the Lord, your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites. You have no other God. I'm him. I'm the only one. Don't fear them. That word fear meaning running after them in your affections. You show them awe, not me. Your worship is of them, not me. And then he gives this reproof. But only now does he give this reproof. I have been gracious to you. The reproof you have not obeyed. In light of all of who God is and what he has done for us. Our defiance is, now we begin to get it. It's inexplicable. We cannot explain why we will not listen to him. He's good. We cannot fathom how depth our depravity is. He's been gracious to us. He's always been there for us. He has answered every time we've called out to him for help. It's inexplicable that we would then turn from him. And yet, that's what? we've done. I was your deliverer. What a great hope is also in this text. One of the things that we have been learning through the book of Judges is judge after judge after judge, and now for sure judge after judge after judge reveals we need a better judge. Every deliverer revealed that judge being a deliverer. It's a deliverer, a deliverer, and now this deliverer, this deliverer is not good all the more reveals, we need the deliverer. We need the Savior. We need the Messiah. This is what it's been building towards. And God opens up with, I have always been your deliverer. What a great hopeful picture. Pointing to the future of the coming of Jesus, the deliverer. Saying, and I have always been your deliverer. I have always been faithful to you. I have always been good to you. I've always been loving and kind to you. This is our sinful dilemma. Knowing all of this, we turn and we won't obey. But isn't the Spirit of God at work? Isn't the Spirit of God at work in you even now beginning to say, that's why I'm compelled towards the Lord? Our defiance of God truly is inexplicable. God's reproof is intended to wake us up. Ask these questions of yourself, and I'm asking them of myself. After all that he has done for you, why will you continue to disobey him? After all that he's done for me, will I hear his voice? Is that not the nature of repentance when we go to one another as brothers and sisters in Christ? The Lord has been good, hasn't he? Hasn't he been good? Repent. Oh, what a great hope we have in the call to repentance now. Repent, and you'll find that he has always been good. Repent, and you'll find that he will forgive you. He's just in his forgiveness. Now we begin to see how this is connected to the cross of Christ. Do you remember that he has always been, that he was and always has been your deliverer? This is the starting place for when you and I now go to a brother and sister and call them to turn to the Lord. Whether they have not believed in Christ ever, this is our appeal. God has come mercifully He's come to us and has been good. You're living and breathing. Look at all that he's provided for you. But look at what you also are doing. Turn and believe in Christ. Turn from your sin. You know, the Christian message is not one. You need to be a good person. So won't you join the rest of us, it'll shock you how many times that you're in public and they're going to say, man, your kids are super obedient. That's not the gospel message. The gospel message is, he has been our deliverer, and we need a deliverer, and he has given us the deliverer, Christ. In light of who God is and all that he has done for us, is not our defiance inexplicable? They were brought very low. We're now discovering, and God has every right to leave them low. Their defiance of God is inexplicable. When we get to the end of verse 6, and it says, and the people of Israel cried out for help from the Lord. The expected and necessary, well, The expected and without Christ necessary response from heaven would be utter silence. And the next thing we hear is the flames from hell or worse. And yet what we have is verse 7 when the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. The Lord sends a message. I'm your deliverer. And he keeps sending Not only is their defiance and our defiance inexplicable, point three. God responds with inexplicable grace. Haven't you already been tasting of this grace? God inexplicably pours out grace on his people in verse 11. Let's look together. Now, the angel of the Lord came and sat under the tabyrinth. You have to know from studying this just a little bit, and you're going to find out as we get to this a little bit later, maybe in next week's message, that Gideon's dad owns the property of where this angel appears. Where this angel appears is beneath a tree. During this time, if you were a pagan god, you had an idol built under the shade in the area. Of course that's where the place would be. Why would you build it out in the blazing hot sun of Tucson or Phoenix? No, 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 no. You would go into the cool mountains of Colorado and you would build your altar to your God there. That's where you would want to spend. And right there, you're going to find out these idols are right there is where this angel of the Lord appears. He appears to Gideon on Gideon's property. Gideon's property is being used, his dad's property is being used for idol worship the grace of God is amazing and it is explicable, inexplicable. He should have stood out on the edge and said, you need to come to me. And God goes right into the midst of all of the filth and he sends his angel directly, sends his deliverer of the good news to the nation of Israel directly into their mess. By the way, any time a prophet speaks in the Old Testament, you're often going to hear those words, thus saith the Lord. This is really important because when a prophet speaks, you and I need to listen. In the old days, if E.F. Hutton speaks, we should listen, right? Well, there is no question in this case. This prophet speaks, we need to listen because it opens with, thus saith the Lord. But the good news is, when that prophet speaks as he also says at the end, you have not obeyed my voice. He now sends an angel of the Lord directly to Gideon. And this angel of the Lord, now that second messenger from the Lord, now speaks good news in a unique way and a progressively beautiful way to Gideon. We cannot miss the connection between verses 10 and 11 either. You have not obeyed my voice and he still sends us an angel. Still sends us his angel. God graciously calls Gideon. We don't have the time to talk about him personally, but what we're going to find out over these next three chapters is Gideon has got some serious character issues, and none of uh, many of them are not going to be resolved. Um, Consider just for a moment the one that we run into. This one to me was humorous, and then after I read it in a little bit different light, I thought that would be enough for me to run for the hills and cry out for the rocks to fall on me. He actually says to the angel of the Lord, because he doesn't get it yet, why don't you wait right here? I'll be right back. <laughs> and the Lord says, I will stay until you return. <laughs> Shocking. Shocking. He starts by describing Gideon with an amazing description. Look, once we get to know Gideon, you're going to be shocked all the more that he would describe him in verse 12 like this. He says, the angel of the Lord appeared to him, Gideon. And he says, the Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And we're going to seemingly discover he is not a mighty man of valor in and of his own. But the Lord has come to him and he says, the Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. We are going to find out how that is even possible that this this guy with these issues is going to be this mighty man of valor and it begins to unfold in the text. It's without doubt God's choice of deliverer begins to raise questions right now. Gideon will not be the deliverer that we would expect to save God's people. It seems as if God's people's sin has now been magnified. Would that not demand a greater deliverer already? And yet the deliverer gets revealed as even worse. So the questions begin to ask, but we have to believe what the scriptures are saying in God's providence. There's a reason behind it. It is clear that at the end of Gideon's life also when we get there that the greatest deliverer is still to come. We need a savior will be the message. God's graciously and undeservedly also reassures Gideon in the midst of this. He is an unlikely deliverer, unlikely judge and so God also has to reassure him. We know that from his own nature. Gideon needs to be reassured because he's not an assured guy. You have to know what he's doing by stamping out this wheat, by beating out this wheat. He's doing it in a wine press. Instead of being in a factory of food production, in a sense he's doing it like hidden in, a, in the garage near your house. We know he can't create enough food. Uh, by this amount of wheat. He's using not even the same tools he would normally use to get to this. He's in a precarious place. He does not have the normal, I guess you could say the normal resources that you would expect to deliver it at. God goes to this man who really has nothing, and he reveals himself by this. I am with you, and we'll find that's all we need. God is with us, and it is all we need. How strong are you? How smart are you? How good am I? We should answer all of those, probably not good enough. Humility would demand not good enough, and God said, I am with you. The sufficiency resides in God himself coming to this deliverer. And he reassures Gideon with these words, O mighty man of valor. And then he repeats it. He will not be put off. Let's consider this when we look at verses. uh, Let's see here. I want to make sure I get the right ones. Yeah, let's read together. Verses 12. The angel of the Lord appeared to him, said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And listen to Gideon's response to him. Please, sir. If the Lord is with us, then why has all of this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds our fathers recounted to us? God graciously calls Gideon, but don't miss his patience with Gideon. Don't miss his patience with you and I. Right here in this text, we're waiting for the hammer to drop on Gideon. I am with you. Oh, mighty man of valor. And he said, Back to the Lord. Oh, well, where were you? It's in this moment any sovereign king has every right to lop Gideon's head off in place, to immediately just drive him into the wheat pile. It says, Enough of this. This is shocking. Gideon's defiance is shocking, but what's more shocking is God's inexplicable grace that's unrelenting in the face of this. God will not be put off and will not yield to Gideon's assault on his character. God will not be put off from his mission of grace to save What a great hope we have that's unfolded in this text. Verse 14, unfazed by Gideon's foolish charge. In 14, God's explicable grace stays the course and goes on. Go in this might of yours. Save Israel, I send you. Verse 15, Gideon still holding his charge shrinks back from God's call and quickly goes into self-abasing excuse, self-pity, like, well, I, I, I'm not really good. And by the way, I'm, I'm a weakling in my family is essentially what he tells the Lord. One, he's defiant, he's charging God, and now he backs up a little bit. Yeah, but I'm not the man. I'm not the one to send. In verse 16, God won't relent. He said, I will be with you. He promises he will be with Gideon. And still, with no mention of Gideon's repentance. And God knows this. His grace stays the course and reassures this pitiful man. I will be with you. God's grace is magnified all the more as we see the decline in Gideon, the continuing backstepping of Gideon. God keeps moving forward in his grace towards Gideon, and it doesn't stop. We get to 17 through 20. Gideon then puts God to the test by requesting proof in a form of a miracle that he is who he says he is. Shocking. All the more shocking God's patience with this man that keeps pursuing him further. It's inexplicable grace from God is magnified again. And it grows. His grace grows. Well, then we hear the New Testament where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. We see it begin to work out in real life, in his life. How about you? How far have you gone? The inexplicable grace of God will go there after you now we get we get to which is truly the pinnacle of the text in verses 21 after this test after the lord says okay i'll wait for you we hear verses 21 gideon lays out this offering before the lord listens to the instructions of this angel Verse 21, then the angel of the Lord reached out the tip of his staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened cakes, and fire sprang up from the rock and consumed the flesh and the unleavened cakes. And the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. Then Gideon perceived. Then he perceived. Now, on this side of the cross of Christ, here's our trouble, if we're not careful, is we, in an uninformed way, can say, oh, but we have the cross. We have the cross. Okay. We have the cross. Okay, great. Yes, there is some relief in that. We do have that. But what's interesting that we have in the text is, have we truly perceived what the cross of Christ should reveal to us as well. Look where this takes Gideon in verse 22. He says, Alas, O Lord God, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. In verse 23 informs actually what that means. But the Lord says to him, Peace be to you. Do not fear. You shall not die. His words, Alas, O Lord, isn't like, Aha, now I have found you finally. you're what I've always been looking for. I was up there in my den, squandering around, but now, Lord, you're who I'm looking for. No, the Lord has revealed himself, only a sliver of himself to Gideon, and the first place Gideon goes is, I am a dead man. I am a dead man. He now senses and knows and believes he's in the holiness of God himself. Can you imagine at that moment, can you imagine at that moment Gideon suddenly remembering some of the things he had just said to the angel? His attitude that he had as he's responding to what had happened, uh, responding to the word from the prophet God reassures Gideon in a miraculous way in this statement. Peace be with you. Do not fear. You shall not die. That's the greatest thing this deliverer, this man, needed to hear. And here's why. He needed to hear that God would not consume him in the same fire that he had just consumed that offering with. He needs to be blown away by the fact moved by the fact that God put a boundary on the fire, it would burn. It would burn in a miraculous way, in a way that Gideon had never experienced, but it stopped there. It didn't burn on and incinerate him in the rest of, uh, rest of the area. Burn him, the idols near him, all that's going on, and the nation of Israel all at once. God restrains his wrath, Reveals his glory, his holiness, just a little bit. And it moves Gideon to say, I am a dead man. And God kindly responds, you're not a dead man. Peace be with you. Do not fear. You shall not die. God's grace undeservedly spares Gideon's life. Has not not been your experience with the Lord. Do you not see it clear now? One, we see, wow, our sin is much worse than I thought. It is a greater charge and assault on the Lord in so many ways. I've said, you know what? I'm going to continue on in this, but Lord, you wait right here. I have some issues with you, but but I'm going to hold off. I'll get back to you in a minute. Or worse, we test him. Well, Lord, if it really is you, then why don't you do this for me to prove it? Fix this situation for me. And then I'll trust you. Well, in God's great kindness, He says to you and I, Peace be to you. When you remember the things that you have done here in worship this morning, it was like a flood of things I had done in my past as I heard the words of the song talking, um, speaking of sinners being saved. And all I could briefly remember in that moment were a few things that made me want to slide under the chairs, but instantly met with the fact that God has come in peace in Christ. He has come to you and I in the grand deliverer. The nation of Israel needed to know that deliverer was coming. Gideon needed to know that God was sustaining him in this moment, but Gideon too needed to know that the grander deliverer was coming. Gideon then rightly does what you and I do in worship. The Lord is peace. He does this in an interesting way. He sets up an altar in verse 24, and he calls that place, the Lord is peace. For you and I, we've heard that phrase in the New Testament, returning to the joy of our salvation. It's in that sense we go back to that moment. This is where the Lord showed his peace to me. This is where the Lord spared my life Instead of destroying my life. This is where the Lord reassured me that even though I die one day, I will live forever with him. Taking us back to that moment where we were saved is that Lord saying, this place, this is the place the Lord gave us peace. Our inexplicable defiance has been met by God's inexplicable grace. If you would turn with me to John chapter 14. Let's read together. Jesus speaking to his disciples in John 14, verse 25. These things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the Helper... The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things to bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Peace. I leave you. Peace, I leave you. Now, if you don't mind, please go back to Judges. Right back to Judges. Chapter 6. Beginning at the end of the section in verse 24. And I'm gonna let you follow back with your eyes through the text, in reverse through the text. Let's consider how the cross of Christ reverses sin's dilemma. In our text is revealed. Starting at that very end, God comes to us. We hear, you shall not die. But the cross of Christ reveals that Jesus does die. He can say to you and I, you will not die, because he has come. And has died for us and he has died to satisfy his wrath and secure us in our peace he promises to never leave us nor forsake us the gospel goes on and preaches the good news he sends the holy spirit and instead of consuming us with the offering there on the rock next to gideon instead of consuming us with fire he now lives in us renewing our mind changing us and pointing us to the one who is now giving us peace jesus a disobedient people refusing to obey the voice of God are now made able and glad to obey His voice now. We want to obey His voice. Once deaf to His voice, we are now made able to hear His voice, which speaks, My peace I give to you. Come to me. Draw near to me. Father, Father, Forgive them. We were low, very low, in darkness and in sin. And now, secured in Him, our final deliverer, He has lifted us out of the caves of darkness. If I could have the band come up. Our enemy and the world, like locusts, have been devouring us Our sin wasn't bad enough. The world has now been assailing us and everything we had seemingly taken from us and yet he has redeemed us. He has purchased us back out of that. We have treasures now laid up in heaven and we've been graciously invited to a wedding feast one day in heaven forever, forever. There will be no thirst in Christ. There will be no hunger in Christ. We won't have to be in caves. We won't have to be in dens. We'll be in the wide open air of heaven, breathing in oxygen provided by the Savior. There will be no sun in heaven, because he'll shine bright enough to light the day. Once we were people overpowered by Satan, but now the King Jesus has overcome the enemy and the world, and this is true now. Look at the dates that are in the text seven years, 40 years. This is true now. It will be true for the next eight years. It will be true for the next 40 years. It will be true for the next 1,000 years. Forever and ever and ever. We will hear, the Lord is peace. If I could have you stand with me. Our inexplicable defiance has been met by inexplicable peace and grace from God. God. Everyone in this room needs to hear this. If you are without Christ, you need Him. You need this peace. This world will not provide it for you. Cry out to Jesus and you will hear peace be with you. Do not fear. You shall not die Christian, haven't you needed this reassurance this week? Won't you need this reassurance tomorrow? I had a sense this morning, someone is here today. And maybe even these very words were on your mind. I do not want to be here. This is the last place that you want it to be. You need to hear these words, peace be to you, do not fear, you shall not die.